Amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Good to be here. I'm happy to be with a great group of people. I'm like Michael, a little sleep deprived, a little going on fumes because we had a sleep deprivation experience at Men's Encounter, Um, but very powerful and uh, some real transformation happening in guys' lives. But I'm excited to be here, and I know even in our little more quieter environment here this morning, I I believe God is is here and has good things for us. And I've I've actually been looking forward to this message um, for a while since we thought through this series. It's very different than our norm. It's different than anything we've ever done before, really. Uh, We've been talking about our series is What is Truth? Looking at the question of truth and how to discern between truth and deception and looking at how that applies both to our our personal issues, personal life choices and ethics and relationships, but also cultural issues. And next week we're planning to wrap this up with a real look at going deep on the personal side. We're going to talk about how God desires truth in the innermost parts and what that looks like. And, but today we're going, to do kind of, we're going to look at a cultural issue, a worldwide issue, that as followers of Jesus, we all have, uh, it affects, it's, it's something we are called to wrestle with. And really I thought about, we could, this is kind of a case study. We're looking at creation care, kind of the issue of environmentalism and the care of creation. Um, and in some ways it was like we could have picked a lot of issues, because in some ways it's going to be, uh, my goal is to help us grow in developing a biblical worldview to help us grow in looking at the issues of the world and not being framed by education establishments or the media or what seems right to us, but looking to God's word and letting it frame our thinking and both in what we believe on a big scale, but also, okay, how do I apply that to my life? And so each of us have different callings. We have different vocations and it's one of the best things as we grow as followers of Jesus as disciples, is to learn to read the Bible through the lens of our calling. And so if you're an educator, or if you're in agriculture, or if you're a parent, to, to read the Word of God and to study the Word of God looking at what God says about those areas, because God's Word has truth for all of life. Um, so we could have picked a lot of other issues, but I think this, is, this is an issue obviously very important. There are real problems um, in the world. There are, you know, I think we're, we're somewhat familiar with the, the effects of industry and consumption and some agricultural practices. Um, I said consumption, consumerism, uh, that affect our health, that affect the economy, that affect wildlife, that affect just ecosystems, the water we drink and the you know, wildlife is, you know, dependent upon. Um, there, are, there are real problems with that, that really we would say as far as Jesus, the sin has caused problems in the world and the choices of people. Um, this is important to God. It's part of all of our callings. We all live on this earth. We all uh, breathe this air, drink this water. We all, our choices affect others. And so it's important to all of us and those, those around us. Um, even in some ways specifically to us as, people, as Midwesterners, right? Because we're here in the breadbasket of America and breadbasket of the world, really. And so there's a part of what God has made this land for is to feed people, and like the stewardship of this land is really important for, for not just us, but for the world. Um, and also there's just, you know, some of us more than others. I mean, I could look around the room and people who aren't here today, 
um, but we got people in agriculture. I'm looking at Macy here, and we got, you know, I was talking to Hayden. He's like, what, over, during the break, what are you doing this weekend? He's like, well, I'm watching animals, because we've got two, my wife Audrey's gone, and we're watching a friend's dog too, and so, you know, there are people, Cora's out of town this weekend, but, and Mark's at Men's Encounter, but I was talk, talking to her recently, and she, they love reptiles. They love snakes. If you go to their apartment, there are a bunch of snakes that they're raising and breeding and selling. But if you really talk to her, she's like, you know, this was just something that I got interested in. I never thought I would. But now I feel like basically it's what I'm called to do. Like I want to go work in a zoo where they're breeding reptiles and other species that are endangered and helping to populate these populations. You know, we talk about Kaylin, who's like working with farmers all over the world. And so in, in, the, in our little community, there are people, even that is a really big part of their, of their calling. Um, also, it's an area where there's a lot of, of confusion and deception. And we talked two weeks ago about propaganda and um, deception. And this is an area where the enemy has taken these issues and twisted them for his agenda and not for God's agenda. And so we wanted this morning, just we're going to take a look at what God's Word says, draw out some big principles, and kind of just leave us all to, to be curious and to wrestle with how to apply it to our own individual lives. You know, I'm kind of, I'm not a scientist. I, I love science. I love reading about science. I love reading about cultural issues, but I kind of know just enough to be dangerous kind of thing. So I'm going to like try not to go too far into some of that. Um, but it's important for us to engage with these things and wrestle with them. And it's complicated. You know, I, a couple months ago, um, this came across my, my decision-making life, mental space more, because my in-laws own farmland across southwest Kansas and into Oklahoma, just various smaller parcels of land that they had inherited. And I had um, had the thought over the years, especially in southwest Kansas, as I'd known about the, the, aquifer, the aquifer that's, that's uh, receding, and I thought, you know, if, I, if we ever inherit any of this land, you know, I, I think there's a stewardship with that. And I don't know what is going to be involved with that, but I, I know, and I talked to Reagan about that, like, hey, we would at least want to make sure that we're not irrigating at a level that's, that's more than sustainable. Like, even though that may not be the most seemingly short-term economically prudent, or, you know, like, profitable choice, we feel a responsibility that we're not going to use more water than is, than is replenished every year. Um, but an issue came across that was more complicated than that, really. So a couple months ago, um, there's this piece of land that my father-in-law has been in his family for like five generations. Like they homesteaded it, 1800s, and has been passed down. Um, actually, our whole family could bury, be buried in the cemetery in Rolla, Kansas, because they like founded the town. Um, so we could be buried for free if we want to drive to Rolla for, <laughs> for a burial. Um, but there's this, they were approached, they were, um, there's 320 acres, and it's been very unprofitable. Okay, the last five years, it's averaged like less than $5,000 a year in profit on 320 acres. So it's like not making a lot of money. The weather's been bad, it's been bad for, for crops there. But they were approached by a developer who wants to turn it into a solar farm. And my first reaction was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea, you know, like renewable energy. This is not very, you know, it seems like the land's been depleted. There's not really enough rain, right, at least right now. Um, but then my father-in-law said, you know what, I'm like getting up there in years, and this is like a 20-year lease they're talking about, maybe renewable for 40 years. 
And so it's really a next generation decision and really two generations away in many ways. So it's me and my sister-in-law and then two cousins like, you guys decide. And I'm like, oh my, and so diving into it is just so complicated because actually like solar sounds great, but when you really start studying, it's like, well, it's not just 100% clean sweep, everything's great. Like there are very expensive like materials to produce this. And when you look at like wind and solar, there are questions of are there batteries and are those, like that's not environmentally friendly, the process of mining for batteries. And it's, it's devastating in a lot of places, especially the where it's done around the world. Um, in places that are controlled by China. I mean, really, largely in Africa, where the, the, it's worse than, it's just about as bad as the colonialism from Europe in the 1800s, what China's doing in, in Africa right now and around the world. So, wrestling through these decisions, and it's like, okay, I, it's not quite so simple as you would think. It's just like, oh, clean energy, yay, more money, win for everybody. Oh, well, it's not that much money, but um, it's, it's, it's not so easy. Um, but so oftentimes, that's, that's, as we look at these issues, that's one of the things we have to realize is it's not just as simple. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a bit later. So I want to uh, just read, um, starting with a few passages of scripture. The first one is Genesis 1. This is what's known as the creation mandate. This is when God made the first people and gave them responsibility for the earth. And we're going to read it in the message translation, because I think this really conveys a lot of the the spirit and the ethos of our creation care calling. Um, so God, would you help us? Lord, open up your word, speak to us, help us get what you want us to get. Amen. God spoke. Swarm ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters and every kind of species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill ocean. Birds, reproduce on earth. It was evening, it was morning, day five. God spoke, earth, generate life. Every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles. We've got to love this as Kansas. We've got cattle listed right there. <laughs> cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds. And there it was. Wild animals of every kind. Cattle of all kind, every sort of reptile and bug. God saw, God saw that it was good. God spoke. Let us make human beings, man, in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He made them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was good. 
So very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Wow, I love, doesn't that just convey like the, the spirit of, man, this beautiful, good world that God made before it was damaged by sin, especially. And then the place God gave men and women as stewards of the planet, as stewards of the earth, and to, to serve his life-giving purpose here. And I want to just take three takeaways from, from this for us, for creation care. The first is personal responsibility. There was God's desire for the earth, and then he entrusted it to people. Say, you take charge of stewarding and nurturing this world and this ecosystem to be that I want it to be. That's a, that's a high calling. Uh, Man, so much weighing in the balance. And it's also, it's, it's personal responsibility. I think that's important for us to see, because we can be like, oh, it's like government, or like, you know, someone else, like, set the, the, all this. But it really boils down to people taking personal responsibility. They started out in a garden, and it was God's desire for them to expand that. And one person at a time, one family at a time, expand that environment in the whole world. What does that look like? It's different for all of us. I've got a cousin... Um, who's my age, who lives, he's a, he's grew up on a farm in Indiana, and was a National Merit Scholar, brilliant guy, went to Iowa State, um, came back to farm with his dad, but was increasingly just, like, there are some things about the way agriculture is done that were just, he was at, at not at, at dis-ease with. And some of the, just like the, the way that you know, as, as great as, like, fertilizer and pesticide has been for increasing crop yields, the downside of, like, man, this is just seriously depleting our soil year after year. But he's, like, in this place, well, I've got to make a living, and what do I do? So he's farming with his dad, but what he's doing is every year, just more and more, he's, as he has the space and the economic wherewithal, he's experimenting and trying things that he's, like, seriously trying to change, like, apply different agricultural practices that are better for the environment. And so they have a, a garden, and they, they, grow, they grow vegetables that they sell on a roadside stand next to their farm. I was there, and our family was there in July, and he had like, found this Scandinavian practice that they, where they would take a tree, a felled tree, and cover it with dirt, and then grow vegetables on that. And he just tried it this year, but and the, the idea is that as the tree is decomposing, it's releasing amazing amounts of nutrients into the ground. And his, his plants on that pile of dirt were like four times more plentiful than the rest of his plot. He's just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. He's got cows, and he's looking at like the, just the typical grazing practices and how cows move over a whole area and they eat all the tasty grass, but they don't eat all the other stuff because they've got better stuff they'd rather eat, but if they're confined, they'll eat everything. And so he's got his, his like 15-year-old daughter is like little cow herder girl, and he's set up these electric fences and in a small area, and every day they're in a little area, and what they do is they're eating everything else and it creates a, a more plentiful, it's, the whole ecosystem is better. And clover, which is great nutrition for the cows, is like flourishing in this area. And he's like experimenting and finding stuff out. 
and selling free-range grass-fed beef to people. And it's like, wow, like you're doing something that's small scale, but it's making a difference. Now, you know, for us, we probably can't do that in our backyard, most of us. But it's the same way of, you know, types of thinking as we, as we look at choices about, you know, what am I going to recycle? Am I going to compost? What about my consumer choices? You know, how does that affect things? And it's all connected with economics and the well-being of people and all these things. Um, for some of us, that may be more buying local, buying less, eating differently. Am I going to fertilize my grass? You know, there are real choices, and I'm not going to tell you what to do on any of that. Um, I know we just, at our ministry house, just this last week, we were like, okay, yeah, we're gonna, we decided to recycle, although recycling is not, not, not a home run thing. Like, there's some misnomers about what happens to the plastic, and some of it gets sent off to Indonesia and burned eventually. But overall, we decided, okay, we think that, you know, this is overall better with, with what we're doing, especially with aluminum and cardboard and all that. So anyway, there, there are personal like, choices that you have to like, take responsibility for and look at. Okay, how are my life choices affecting the creation? Um, personal responsibility. We, in Genesis 2, the next chapter, I, lo I love this verse. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. To cultivate it and, and tend it. The second thing we see about creation care is that it's personal care. It's not just personal responsibility, but it's personal care. When I look at how my cousin and his family are interacting with the creation, I mean, it's very hands-on. It's very from the heart. And that's how God designs things to be, right? We tend to like make it like institutionalized with everything. But God's answers are always personal and from the heart and about care. Um, we, it's interesting when you read the, a lot of the passages in the Bible that address these issues, and a lot of them are, that I've found are in the law. And people think, oh, the law of God, like that's Old Testament, that's, God was so harsh and judgmental. That I don't think they've read the law very well. Because really the law was, was the, the way that God wanted people to live that would bring the most blessing to them and to the land and to the nations around them. And in the law, I mean, it talks about economics, it talks about relationships, it talks about agriculture, it talks about the poor and social justice, and all these things are all interwoven together from a very caring, personal place. And some of these, some of these, these instructions about, about the environment are so interesting because they're so personal. In Leviticus 25.4, we read, In the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath, Sabbath of complete rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You're not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. So in God's setup, there was, okay, every seven years, not only are you supposed to rest every seven days, but you're actually, the Israelites were, in, were instructed to take a sabbatical every seven years where they rested and didn't plant crops. And part of that was that the land was rested. And so it could be renewed and rejuvenated. Now, it's interesting, there's no record that the Israelites ever did this, actually. This was God's plan, but it takes a lot of faith. And they were, we know the record is they were not obedient to the laws of God. And they eventually were sold into captivity. And the, the land, it's, the Bible says, had rest for 70 years, which there had been 490 years of disobedience. So basically, that would have been 70 times 7. The 70 years that the land should have rested, eventually, God intervened and said, okay, I'm gonna, the land is going to rest. If you don't do it, it's going to be a way that's, that's not so desirable for any of you. Um, but the land, you know, we, it's implications for us. Um, you know, there are whole, there's a book out there called Soil. 
And it's all about how world civilizations rise where the soil is the most fertile. And then when the soil is over-farmed and depleted, civilizations collapse. You can see this trajectory. And then it goes somewhere else. You look at like Africa, places now that we're like, oh, sub-Saharan Africa, like it's desert. It wasn't always that way. You know, there, there, there are places where we have not taken care of the land and, and the flourishing um, follows that pattern. Deuteronomy 22.6, this is very interesting. I, I love this. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young, one or youngs or, with one, young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the, bed, on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. And kind of similarly, Exodus 23, 19, you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. These are some of those verses you read like, why is that in the Bible? That's an odd verse. But if you can see, think about it, and when you read odd verses, it's one of the best things you can do is to stop and go, what? What is the meaning of this? God, what does this reveal about you? And, you know, with the A's, you see just the like, okay, yes, the animals are given to us for food, but care for them well. You know, you take the young, but leave the mother and let her produce more. And, you know, it's, it's responsible stewardship of, of wildlife and agriculture. Even the, the goat and the, the young, I think there's, it's not even just, like, responsible, but it's care. It's just like, hey, realize, like, this is an animal that you're eating. This is a living being. And if you're going to eat that little kid, like, don't boil it in its mother's milk. Like that's, there's just like some like human, like relational care that we're meant to live with. And that should be integrated in the choices that we make with all these things. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like, wow. I just think like that sort of mentality, like that's the way, that's the way God approaches the world. That's how he wants us to approach things. Um, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I love how, like I mentioned Cora, you know, she's like breeding snakes in, in Mark. But it's like, there's this care and interaction and this desire, like, this scene, like, this really matters. This, these are great creations of God, and we want to help steward where that fits. So there's personal responsibility, there's personal care, and then the third principle is connect to the creator. Connect to the creator. You know, the whole, like, kind of presumption the, behind the whole creation mandate is, hey, God's giving us responsibility of creation, but it's under his authority. It's connecting creation to its, the created intent of the creator. And so it's not, it's, it's, it's very relational, it's very organic, it's very spiritual. And we have one of our distinctives as a church, this, fra this phrase we love is that all of life is sacred. There is no choice that we make that is, that is not related to God. Everything is meant to be an act of worship. To God. And as this, you know, people take that in a weird direction with the environment and kind of like worshiping the environment, but it's, it's, it's not the, the, the earth is not our mother, but God is our Father and He has made the creation and it's, He has made it as, as to reflect Him and be something that connects with Him. And the brokenness of the world is, is when we sin and our relationship with God and with one another in the creation is damaged. And so reconnecting things to the Creator is where restoration happens. Um, it's ironic that in the world today, environmentalism is often one of the most secular, godless endeavors there is. Uh, when you talk to most environmentalists, there's no consideration of God. It's people that don't believe in God. 
oftentimes. And it's this whole like, way of approaching it, but it's totally disconnected from the Creator. And so, but that's, that's not realizing the, the, the worldview that is, that is real. It's, you know, there's a lot of talk about global warming and climate change and, and all of that. And yeah, and I know just enough to be dangerous, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try not to say too much. But we look at biblically, when there was climate change, when there was drought, when there was famine, what was that pointing to? It was always pointing to people had been unfaithful to the Creator. People were not living in right relationship with God. They were not following Him. And it was a wake-up call. It's like, oh wait, we, there's not enough rain. Oh wait, what about God? What about our relationship with God? Where are we in this process? Are we going to turn to God? And I, I mean, I've talked to, so I remember talking to a professor friend who's a completely humanist world. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're just, we're, this is the first place I heard this. And I started hearing it in more places like, well, you know, we have the technology. Like, we're going to like seed the clouds and we're going to like produce rain and we're going to like reverse climate change through our technology. And I was like, are you for real? Like, you are so missing. Like, you really think that you, like, with our technology, we're going to be able to solve these problems. Like, I love technology. I love good science. But you, you are missing. Like, no, you've got to connect. You've got to turn to God. Well, very well-known verse, Second Chronicles 7.14. God says this. He says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Wow. Isn't that interesting? In the beginning, when we sinned, the environment was broken. When we turn to God and are in right relationship with him, it restores us and it brings healing in the earth as well. We're going to look at the end about some examples where this is happening in the world today. Actually, really incredible. Um, but before we go there, I just want to go through a few like things to be aware of, because there are many pitfalls and much propaganda and misconception. Yeah, I, don't, I love this picture. I ran across this. You know, sometimes what looks like one thing to us isn't the real thing, right? And it can lead us to make conclusions and actions that are not actually good actions, just like this, this poor dog here. Who thinks, oh yeah, there's, there's another dog. This is, this is how we move forward. You know, so much of the messaging about the environment is like this. It's, it's not the real deal. And so, four things to be aware of. Beware of atheists. I already mentioned that. If, if the approach to environmental, the environment and creation care is from the place of not believing in God and not considering God, that's the first thing, like, okay, let's, let's take that with the, not just a grain of salt but really second guess of all the conclusions that are coming from this place. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's foolish. It's a foolish beginning place. They are corrupt. From that foolishness comes corruption. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Proverbs 12.10 says, A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. You know, this is true in so many endeavors, but the, those that, who don't have a right relationship with God 
oftentimes have compassion, whether for the environment or for the poor, or, and come up with solutions. But the reality is that the result of those compassionate solutions is cruelty, and it actually hurts the very people and situations that they're, they're trying to help. The very compassion of the wicked is cruel. So watch out for atheists. Watch out for overly simple answers. So often, like, we're just like, hey, problems in the environment. So what do you need to do? Recycle. Renewable energy. Electric cars. You know, it's these, like, just like, if we do this, then we'll solve everything. But when you actually start, like, drilling down and looking at those answers, like, like it's not so simple. I mean, the renewable energy is like, well, then maybe it's, it's, there's, it's not just, you know, 100% one, zero, the other. It's even, you know, there's a, a debate to be had about how, how environmentally friendly are many of these actions. And so be careful of overly simple answers. Proverbs 14, 18 says, The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Um, so it takes a little more work to, to assess things than some of these kind of simple messages we get. Next thing to look out for is settled science. So-called settled science. Whenever someone says, like, oh, the science is settled on that, you should be very skeptical. Science is, like, if science is good, then it's open for defense and repeated experiments and looking at it. But so often, it's the science. You know, it's the, like, oh, that's settled science. And it's more a shaming situation than actually science. And there's, there's, we've talked about this, but there's so much uh, peer pressure in the scientific community. There's so much job security that's connected to going along with the, the preferred positions. There's so much funding connected from the government that is connected to certain positions. And so be very careful of settled science. You know, in the 1970s, there was a, the, a cover of Time magazine was a, a apocalyptic warning of the coming ice age because of temperature change climate change. You know, these, like, these things come and go. Like, you've got you, you to be careful about the settled science and the scientific whims of the day because they are not so settled as we're often led to believe. Um, there are many good climatologists who have different opinions. Many people in these realms of agriculture and the environment that who are very good scientists who have different perspectives and they are often silenced and suppressed and withheld funding in their career. It's like career suicide they've got to face to speak up. And so it's, be, be very careful um, about that. I ran across this quote recently, a few weeks, a little while back. Um, this is a gal, Melissa Fleming, who's the UN Global Communications Rep. And she was talking about their concern about how when you would do, several years ago, if you would do a Google search about climate issues, the studies and the documents that would come to your, the top of your search were not in line with the settled science that the UN believed. And so this is what she says. She said, we are becoming much more proactive about this. We own the science, and we think that the world should know it, and the platforms themselves, like the, the search engines, and you know, Google, Facebook, etc. The platforms themselves also do, because we're working with them and we're coordinating with them. But again, it's a huge, huge challenge that I think all sectors of society need to be very active. And so 
she's explaining how they went to Google and like addressed these issues and changed the algorithms so that now when you search these things, you get the right results that the experts are saying you should get. And so it's, you know, that's so much of the information that we're getting is filtered in a way that we should be rather skeptical of. Um, and then finally, the, th the last thing to look at and be aware of is consolidation of power. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I, I read the book, the, the Great Narrative, by Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic, Economic Forum, and another guy, Thierry Malaret. And it's this like compelling, beautiful, beautiful vision of where the world needs to go, written by people who don't believe in God at all. And they paint the compelling picture of the problem of the environment and how we're on the edge of extinction. And this is a critical crisis. And then the answer is, we're going to have to have more regulation. We're going to have to give over more uh, responsibility to the governments of the world. We're going to need more coordination between these intergovernmental world agencies and basically consolidate power because the threat's so bad, we need to trust the experts to do that. And if you have a biblical understanding, you realize you should always be careful that evil always tries to consolidate power. It's the Tower of Babel. It's building, it's bringing everything together because then the enemy can control things from that place. But the model of the kingdom of God is decentralization. It's personal care and responsibility. It's breaking off authority into individual people who are image bearers who are serving God and loving others in their sphere of influence. And it's the spheres that God has made of church and government, um, business, like all carrying out their proper responsibilities. But smaller units being preferable because it, God breaks off authority. And so any consolidation of power is something to be aware of. So there's a few things. Um, it's just kind of crazy to think that God like, would trust something so big to us. But he does. And it's the, his beautiful process of restoring the earth. I, let's read this. Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite scriptures in all, all there is. Roman, Romans 8, 19 through 21. For the creation waits, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow, there it is. The creation's been subjected to futility because of sin, but it's waiting for the sons of God, for the people of God to be transformed and live out our callings. And as that happens, and ultimately when that is completed, the creation will be liberated from its futility. It's a personal care, personal responsibility, connection to the Creator. One place where there's been a, a move of God, a demonstration of this in very dynamic ways over the last 20 years, is in the island nation of Fiji. in the South Pacific. And this was um, kind of hit the Christian world, some of these reports, 20 years ago when it started. But it's continued. But 
in Fiji 20 years ago, and Fiji's a place with 300 islands, uh, over 100 of them are not populated, it's in the South Pacific, um, very you know, simple lifestyles, but there were serious social problems and, and ecological problems at the same time. So the crime was, and it's, you know, all these communities are very spread out and kind of connected but, but unique at the same time. But in a lot of places, there was like really bad crime, or drug issues, um, breakdown of generations. The same time, there, there were churches, but they were so divided from one another. They actually, there would be cases of like, of, of churches that just hated each other. And like, a guy, people would be like sitting in church next to an open window, because it's tropical. And someone from another church would walk by and just punch them, <laughs> just like start a fight. I mean, it was just crazy. And so it got so bad. They, they actually like were turning more and more. And this one community in particular, um, where things kind of started, there was, they, they used the last of their resources. There were, there were feral pigs that were coming down from the hills and just ravaging the yams and just destroying their crops. The, the, the coral reefs were dying and the fishing supply that they were dependent on was dwindling and disappearing. The water, the fresh water, it was, had turned bracken. It was like not good water to drink anymore. And this, this was a bad, bad situation. They turned, they used the last of their resources and built these two idols in this one community. And literally, I mean, the, some of the trusted Christian leaders now would say that they like could see like these idols, like you'd walk past and they could see like the images like jeering at them and moving and mocking them. I was just animated by the demonic in such an open way. And so they finally came together and said, some of the Christians said, we just, we've got to turn to God. We need something better. And there were some people who started going to the scripture and applying God's principles. And they had three weeks of, of prayer and fasting and they repented of sins in their community, they repented of, of individual sins. The churches were reconciled. They came back together. And there was a prophecy in this time that one of these church leaders saw the prophesied that there was going to be fire from heaven coming down and bringing, bringing something. And shortly after that, dozens of people saw this over the ocean, this light has come down over the ocean and, stand, and stay there for half an hour, just this like fiery light. And they were scared. You know, they were like falling down on their knees, just awestruck with just what is going on. And this light came and it was there for 30 minutes. And then they saw like the water was like boiling in that area. Like, oh my goodness, the fire, like, what's happening? But then they looked more closely and they realized, that's not boiling water, that's fish. And they went out there and there were, th the coral reef had been rejuvenated. And there were just thousands and thousands of fish that they started, brought cardboard boxes and, like, and nets and anything they could find and just started harvesting these fish and providing. And then the water, the fresh water was restored at the same time. And that miracle as they turn to God, that happened there, they began this whole ministry called Heal, Heal the Land has spread. It's gone over to 100 communities in Fiji now. And seeing just story after story after story of transformation, both personally and relationally and ecologically. 
as people have, have turned to God. It's, it's amazing. It was even in the news this week, there was a place where um, there was a, someone, again, they were praying, and someone had a prophetic word that there was, a, there was demonic stuff. There was witchcraft and idolatry, and in that spot, there's a monument, but there were demonic-like artifacts and bones buried there. And they went to that spot. Ironically, it was, a, it, was a, it was a Methodist church where this monument was. And so they dug it up, and they found skulls in that place. And they just prayed to break off the stuff there. And it was kind of controversial because the Methodists were like, hey, that's our monument. Like, why are you mad? But it's like, no, like, that's not good. And so there's, there's some controversy, but the, the grace of God and the renewal is spreading throughout Fiji. It's been going on for 20 years. And so... Man, I, I don't know what that looks like in Kansas. You know, I, I don't think we're going to have coral reefs rejuvenated. But maybe the land, you know, restored. What, what could God do as people apply this? So I know it's a very, you know, it's just wild how the, the possibilities with God that are so different than with the world. Um, yeah, I think that's good for us to chew on today. Um, but God, yeah, what does that look like for us? What does that look like for us in our individual lives? What does that look like for us as a uh, community? What, could, what does God want to do in Manhattan? What does he want to do in the world as the people of God humble themselves and turn to him and pray and he heals our land? So I'm going to, I would love to keep talking about this stuff. Um, we'll, I, uh, the campus meeting, we'll see what happens this week with, with this topic, I'm not sure. Um, but trusting that God is just renewing our minds and helping us apply this. So I just want to pray for us as we wrap up here. Father, thank you for your life, your creation, your creative presence. Thank you that you renew our minds and you renew the earth. Lord, help us to, to have to see things the way you do and have faith for what you want to do and have your love in your heart. Um, even the sacrifice involved in that, God, but also the, the faith and the change that you lead us into. Lord, would you renew us? Will you help us to be students of your word who apply it in life-giving ways to the world around us? Lord, we thank you for that. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.